Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Okay, all right, well, welcome again to everybody. We're uh, in the book of Jeremiah, and the title here is Weeping for a Nation. This is, Jeremiah is known as the Weeping Prophet. We're going to see that again in today's lesson, but uh, this is lesson number 12. Stuart Briscoe, he's an author, getting older now, but anyway, he told this amusing true story in one of his books. He told about a young pastor who... um, who was going to officiate a funeral. And it was the funeral of a war veteran. And so he, uh, he, uh, he took this funeral on, but the, the man who had died, his, all of his buddies, his military friends, wanted to have part in the funeral. And, and so at this funeral home, they requested that the pastor would lead them down the aisle, from the back, down the aisle, in front of the casket. They would all stand there for a moment, for a moment of silence, and then the pastor would then lead them out the side door and, uh, and go out. Well, everything went as it was supposed to. The pastor went down, led them down, stood there. But as soon as he uh, left the, the platform, he walked right into a janitor closet, and all of them followed him right into the janitor closet. <laughs> he went through the wrong door. And... Uh, and the, the point of that little story is that leadership matters. <laughs> it's very important that the person out in front is going in the right direction. And it sure is a blessing when that's the case, when we have a leader who's doing what and knowing what they ought to do and doing what they ought to do. You take any God-ordained institution, the, the big three, government, church, and home. You take those three institutions that God set up, and leadership is absolutely key in each one of those areas. Proverbs 29.2 tells us that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And that is true in government, that is true in church, that is true in a home. It's true everywhere. John Maxwell, the great leadership Uh, author and speaker said, everything rises and falls on leadership. A good leader is a wonderful blessing. And anybody who's ever had the privilege of being under a good leader, whether it's in business or or anywhere else, you know how good of a blessing that is. And, And we also know that many of us have been under bad leaders. And uh, I'm sure we all have our stories of government and everything else about that. A bad leader, though, is a tragedy. God's people had some really bad leaders in Jeremiah's day. And Jeremiah made it clear that when he, when, a couple weeks ago when we talked about this, when he stood right up there in the temple, he made it very clear that the religious leaders were horrible. And he, he told them right there in the middle of the temple. He condemned the religious leaders, the priests there. And so what did they do? They put him in stocks. And what a shame when religious leaders especially don't want to hear the preaching of the word of God anymore. When the people who are filling the pulpits don't even want to hear the truth 
of the word of God. Then that was chapter 20 of Jeremiah. Then in chapters 21 and 22, Jeremiah begins a several different prophecies specifically pointing to each king after Josiah. These are messages of doom to each one of them because they were horrible kings. They were horrible leaders. And so you can imagine now he preaches to the priests in chapter 20. Then in 21 and 22, he he's just nailing every single one of the kings. You can, now, you can now know that Jeremiah has no friends. And he's making himself actually an enemy to everybody. Not because he wants to, but because he's just speaking the word of God. And again, also, what a tragedy when political leaders do nothing to hold back immorality in a nation. And that's what these were doing. Do nothing. It's even worse when they encourage immorality. And then even lead people into it. Leadership matters. And we know that. We see that around us. But God wants his people to know that there are better leaders coming. God gives a message of hope that we're going to see this morning. And after these better leaders come, the greatest of all leaders is going to come. And that's how it starts in Jeremiah chapter 23. That's where we see everything begin. So the first point here, and you can write this on your notes, prophecy about, there's the first, a prophecy about failed leaders who will give way to good leaders and then the greatest of all leaders. The greatest of all leaders. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 1, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Now again, pastors, the word there means shepherd. And in this uh, instance, what, he, what he's really talking about is the kings. He's still on the, um, the, the theme of the kings. And so he's referring to these pastors or shepherds as the kings, the ones who should be watching over God's flock. In the Old Testament, that's the word that's used. Pastor has a different connotation in the New Testament, more like what we think of today. Verse 2, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock, and have driven them away, and have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. Again, pastors here are referring to the kings, but, and, but certainly all of us can apply this, uh, to any, we can apply this to any leader. That's called to lead and feed people. If you in this room have influence, then you're a leader of sorts. Leadership really just is influence. So everyone really needs to hear this. Pastors, Sunday school teachers, bosses, older siblings, grandparents, and in particular, I want to just mention this, and that is parents. If you're a parent in this room, you are a leader. You may not be an Instagram influencer, but you are an influencer of some kind. And pretty much everybody in here has influence with someone. So really this, cha this chapter has real application for anyone, all of us. Now notice the wording though in this verse. It says, feed my people. Those of you that feed, or that are supposed to feed my people. The Jews were not, the king's people, they were God's people. This is God speaking, and he says, these are my people. In fact, a couple times in these next few verses, he refers to them as my people. Mine. They are mine. That's why earthly leadership is so important to God. 
That's why God cares about who's leading people, because people are his people. He cares about how his people are being led. Your children are actually God's children. Church members are, not, are God's people, not the pastor's people. We're, these leaders are going to answer to God for how they lead. And influencers will answer to God for how they influence. We all will answer to God for what we're doing with the influence that God's given to us. And in this case, these wicked kings of Judah had scattered the flock, God says, and you have forsaken them. Now God says, I'm going to deal with you, leaders, in the same way that you dealt with the people. I'm going to scatter you and I'm going to forsake you. And one note, this doesn't take away any discipline on the people. They knew better. But in, in fact, usually, <laughs> the truth is that people get the leaders they deserve. But it does help us see, though, in this passage, how God holds leaders accountable. And he will, and he does. But there is some good news in all of this, and I want to share that. It's right here. God gives Jeremiah this very special prophecy about future leaders that will be so much better uh, than what they have right now at the time. So he's telling people, you're going to have better leaders. And I want you to, everybody to imagine, and you know, Jeremiah is written, uh, you know, Jeremiah writes his prophecies, but many of the people who are going to be first readers of what he wrote are the people in exile, in Babylon, that were there for 70 years, and they're reading, and they're remembering what happened to their parents and grandparents. And they're reading this, and they're now thinking about the future, Ah, God says he's going to give us new leaders and then the greatest of all leaders. Look what it says. This is an important prophecy in this book. Verse 3, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I, whither I have driven them, and I will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. And I will set up shepherds over them which shall feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, Neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. What a wonderful good word that is. After all the judgment is done, and I bring you back, and I, after you've been scattered all over, rest assured, I will bring you back and give you new leaders, new shepherds that, we're gonna, that are going to care for you. They're going to feed you. Good leadership, again, is a blessing from the Lord. God says, I'm going to give you a new uh, leader to feed you. When the people returned from Babylon, then after these 70 years, God raised up people like Ezra and Nehemiah and others, Zerubbabel and others, to lead them, wonderful men of God. So God fulfilled this prophecy in the short term. But then there were even better days coming in the long term. And further in the future, verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is his name, whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. He says, folks, now you're dealing with lousy political leaders. And I know you hate them. <laughs> and I know they're horrible. But just wait, one day I'm going to raise up someone in the lineage of David who will be king. And this king is going to execute perfect judgment, 
perfect justice on this earth. And we all know who this is, don't we? It's Jesus Christ, who will someday come and reign a thousand years on this earth. That's the promise that God has made. And, he's, uh, and then after that, he's going to take his children home to heaven. Now, Isaiah spoke of this prophecy also. He, says, he said, after these evil kings, there, uh, there's going to be a curse pronounced on David's line. God was cutting down the tree. And that was in the prior chapter here also in Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 22. But I'm cutting it off, no more. I'm sending everybody to Babylon. I'm scattering. But there's coming a day when even though God has cut off the tree and there's all there is is a stump left, there's gonna, a branch going to come off of that stump. <laughs> and that branch is going to be a branch of righteousness. And guess who that branch is going to be? It's going to be Jesus. By the way, for those of you who like these little details, Joseph and Mary both had their lineages traced to David. That is in the books of Matthew and Luke. But Mary's line is interesting because, if, and it fits this prophecy better, because of that curse that was on David's line, Mary's line bypasses that and, and the curse doesn't touch her line. So there was this branch, it all works out perfectly. It says here that this righteous branch will be called Jehovah Tzidkenu, which is the Lord our righteousness. Jehovah Tzidkenu. Now, I want you to think about this for just a minute. We're calling this righteous branch that's going to come. He's going to come about 600 years later. That's Jesus, who, who's uh, the Messiah. He's going to be called Jehovah. This means that Jesus is God. This is a declaration of the deity of Christ. And, he, and why will he be called Jehovah, our righteousness? Our righteousness? Why will he be called that? Because the, everybody in heaven will know that they are there, not because of their own righteousness, but because of his righteousness. No one in heaven is going to think, boy, I sure deserve this place. I was sure a good person on earth. I did all the things I was supposed to do. My good way, deeds outweighed my bad deeds, and so I deserve all of this. No one's going to say that. Amen. Everyone there is going to say, Jehovah, our righteousness. Amen. He is our righteousness. Each of them has been given righteousness by Jesus Christ. How good is good enough to get to heaven? How good is good enough to get to heaven? Well, let me tell you how good you have to be to get to heaven. Perfect. You have to have all your sins gone. So if you're trying to get to heaven this morning on your own good works, you know that you're never going to make it. It's useless. So stop and just cry out to Jesus and say, God, you are my righteousness. Lord, give me your righteousness. And that's what Jesus did. He died on the cross, rose again to put righteousness onto our account. Now, this amazing prophecy says that when King Jesus comes, he'll execute perfect justice, perfect judgment, perfect peace, perfect safety. And this is something that the world has never experienced up to this point. And it's the greatest deliverance the world has ever seen. And it's all because of the Lord, our righteousness, came and died on the cross and took our sin. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now they have something better they're going to say now. Verse 8, But the Lord liveth, which brought up, and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all the countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. 
Boy, this gets staticky as soon as I get excited, doesn't it? I don't Sorry about that. Well, you're going to know when I'm excited then. In other words, they're going to say, coming out of Egypt was great, but nothing is as good as the Lord's deliverance now. What a wonderful prophecy here. And remember this, as we go through Jeremiah, and there's so much judgment we talk about, let me just remind us again, judgment is not the end of the story. It never is with God. But Jeremiah wasn't done addressing the leaders of Judah. That was that bright light in this chapter, but he needs to keep on, uh, keep on going here. The priests were a joke. The kings just encouraged more uh, wickedness and distance from God. And in the last hope, there was one more group that you would hope would stand for the Lord. You had the priests and the kings. There was one more group of leaders. Everybody, I'm sure, could count on. And it was the prophets. These were the mouthpieces of God. They had one job. Speak the word of the Lord. Just speak what God says. If anyone should be holding the line, it would be those guys. And as a pastor, let me just say this. This chapter, as I was going through it this week and I was reading through it again, it just makes me sit up straight and put shivers down my spine. Pastors, church leaders, teachers need to pay very close attention to what God says here. All of us across, anybody who has that kind of a role. Of all the people in our lives, we count on these spiritual leaders to give us what the word of God says. And in a world that is increasingly immoral, let me just say that people with spiritual influence have a greater responsibility to stand. But again, let me remind us that parents have also been given a spiritual leadership role. Our children, your children, are counting on you and me to give them and teach them the true word of God. And if anyone is supposed to be telling them the truth, it's parents, even if it means our relationship with them suffers. But what happens when dads and moms would rather be their kids' friends than deliver the hard truth of the word? What happens when the majority of pulpits in in a country surrender to the culture? What happens when the people who are supposed to be speaking for the Lord decide that it's more comfortable to please man? Well, that's exactly what happened in Jeremiah's day. So you can read about it in the Kings. The very people who should be passing on the word had decided it was more important to be liked than to be respected. And this is now then a prophecy about leaders who are soft on sin. That's our next point. Prophecy about leaders who are soft on sin because they are living in sin themselves. Verse nine, that's, this is who Jeremiah is addressing. Mine heart within me is broken. Here again is a verse why we call him the weeping prophet. Mine heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. Jeremiah is describing how he felt as he was receiving this word from the Lord about his fellow prophets. His heart was breaking. His bones shook. He couldn't stand up because he was like a drunken man. You know, sometimes the word of God gives us deep emotions. When we start to consider the implications of the judgments that are written in the word of God, it shakes us to our core. And we all see things one way in life and 
Usually it's because how someone else sees it and we're just kind of feeding off of each other. But when we read the word of God and God gives us his view of how things are, it shakes us up. And we start to realize, wait, maybe things aren't as rosy as I thought they were. Or maybe I should be thinking differently about things. We start to feel what God feels. Here's what God tells Jeremiah, verse 10. For the land is full of adulterers. For because of swearing or the oath that they broke, the land mourneth. The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. And their course is evil and their force is not right. For both prophet and priest are profane. Yea, in my house have I found their wickedness, saith the Lord. The prophet and the priest are profane, it said. The word profane means soiled or polluted, meaning that they've taken things that are holy and have soiled them and polluted them. They would stand and speak profanity. They had no care for the sacred. As pastors, teachers, parents, we need to keep certain things sacred talking crassly or crudely or talking about body parts or sexual activity in a crude way we need to be very careful about profaning things that are meant to be sacred by the way this is why cussing is called profanity it's taking the sacred and profaning it it shouldn't be done Verse 12, Therefore, wherefore their way shall be unto them as slippery ways in the darkness. They shall be driven on and fall therein. For I will bring evil upon them, even the year of their visitation, saith the Lord. God's going to bring judgment on these religious leaders just like he has, uh, he has had to do with all the people. You know, a special clerical collar was not going to save them from God's wrath. Verse 13, And I have seen folly in the prophets of Samaria. They prophesied in Baal and cause my people Israel to err. So instead of using God's word, these prophets were prophesying in the name of Baal. God's men prophesying in a false god. They were using pagan teachings and causing the people to walk in error. So many Christian books today include huge amounts of teachings from this guru or this psychologist or that philosopher. Be careful about People who are prophesying in Baal. What about just reading the word of God? There's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of stuff in there. Verse 14, I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem an horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hands of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. These prophets were doing the very same sins as the people. Adultery. Probably meaning spiritual adultery and practical adultery. No wonder they wouldn't preach and teach on holiness and hold the people to a standard. Because they were living in the exact same sins. And by not teaching that these, against these sins, look what they were doing. It says they were strengthening the hands of the evildoers. By not saying anything, by a pastor never getting up and preaching against sin, by a prophet never getting up and calling it what it is, we are encouraging people to continue on in it. It's strengthening the hands of the evildoers. That's what, that's what good, uh, so if you think about it, what good is a preacher if he doesn't address the sins of his day? It was so bad 
here, in, these, in this day, that God says Jer- Jerusalem had become like Sodom and Gomorrah. His own place, like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's an absolute travesty when preachers in a nation will only preach little feel-good sermons and not stand for righteousness. It is true. And when they don't preach against sin, we're just strengthening the hands of evildoers. Verse 15, Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. In other words, there's a bitter end coming for these prophets. Their mouths have been speaking poison and they're going to be forced to drink the poison of punishment. And just so that we're all clear, we don't have to worry. God has his ways of holding unfaithful prophets accountable. We don't have to stress about this. We know that God has his ways and God's going to deal with them. That's what he very clearly says here. Then Jeremiah makes it clearer with a Another prophecy from the Lord. This prophecy is about leaders who speak the narrative, but not God's word. Verse 16, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart, and not out of the mouth of the Lord. You listen to these, he's, Jeremiah's telling folks, you listen to these popular prophets, and you'll have empty, meaningless life. You'll have a vain life. It's, it's nothing. It's just, it's just air. Because their words are completely empty of any kind of sus- substance. Their sermons come from their random, constantly changing recesses of their own heart. It just, it's just from their own brains. Recently, I listened to, a, uh, on YouTube, a, pro- a progressive pastor and an evangelical pastor kind of have a discussion. And, you know, um, getting the progressive pastor to give some kind of a coherent explanation of what he believed was like, you know, trying to nail jello to the wall. It was impossible. <laughs> what do you believe about the Bible? Is it infallible? Well, what does infallibility really mean? Blah, 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 blah. We're going to go down this road. Is Jesus God? Yes or no? Well, yes and no. God is, God is an essence of grace and love and kindness. So therefore, in that way, you know, um, you, you have no idea. My mind almost exploded trying to understand what he believed. I really did not know what he even believed at the end of the day. It's all vain. It's all empty. It's just sort of from his own thinking and what everybody else is saying and See if this next verse doesn't sound like some of the narrative that we hear today. Verse 17. They say, still unto them that despise me, the Lord has said. This is what these folks, these prophets say. The Lord has said, ye shall have peace. And they say unto everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. In other words, do do whatever you want. Whatever your imagination can dream up to, to do, just do it. God isn't going to send consequences. He's at peace with you. He's at peace with you. It's moral relativism. And remember, God said Jerusalem had turned into Sodom and Gomorrah. That's how God felt. And for God to say that, it's very likely he's speaking specifically, in my my estimation, he is speaking specifically about the sin of homosexuality here. 
And yet these prophets are saying that God is at peace with that. He's at peace with what he sees in Jerusalem. No, he's not. He just, he just told Jeremiah he's not. I view it as Sodom and Gomorrah. And many churches are moving, moving the standard. Oh, here was, here's God's word, but let's, let's lower the standard because I don't want to offend. Now listen, I don't either. <laughs> I don't want to offend people either. I don't think we should want to offend people. That's not our goal. But I also cannot say, you shall have peace. No evil shall come upon you. I also can't say that. So I'm in a little bit of a situation here. Because people are begging pastors to just say, peace, peace. No evil shall come upon us. Please, pastor, just say that. And everything will be nice here in America. We'll all just get along and have peace. They're even requiring pastors and people to say that in Canada, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. And it may be a requirement pretty soon here too. But will we speak for the Lord? And the question Jeremiah begins to ask is this. In this next verse, he asks, which one of my colleagues, you prophets, is going to spend time and go, actually go into the house of the Lord and speak to him and get a word from God? Verse 18, for who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? There's an Old Testament scholar here who uh, compared these false teachers uh, to reporters who gather outside of a political meeting. They're on the outside. And the analogy is a good one because Journalists are out there and they make reports about what's happening inside the meeting, behind closed doors. So their reports are just conjecture. They're just writing about things they don't actually know about. They're based on rumor rather than revelation. And often when they write those things, they're wrong, it's false. Basically the point is they don't know what they're talking about because they're not in the room. So many wannabe theologians out there are uh, never in the room. They never open the word of God. They're on the outside and they're kind of with conjecture talking about this and that and this and that. <sighs> on social media, K-Love. <laughs> honestly, you have to be very careful because you're hearing these little snippets, you're hearing these one-liners that are, sound so peaceful and nice, but you gotta be careful. Who's in the room? Who's opening up the word of God and truly hearing the word of God. The question today is who is opening the word and really hearing what God says on these issues. People need prophets. They need leaders who actually say what God says and not just repeat the narrative. People like Jeremiah who really did go into the council room of God and hear from God. And this is what he heard. Verse 19, Behold, a whirlwind of the Lord has gone forth in fury even a grievous whirlwind, it shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord shall not return until he have executed, until he have performed the thoughts of his heart. In the latter days, ye shall consider it perfectly. A city like Sodom and Gomorrah, again, is not okay with God. It's not at peace. God is angry. And judgment day is coming, Jeremiah is saying. But no one else would speak it. Verse 21, I have not sent these prophets, God says, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, if they had been in the room 
and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their doings. God so wishes that these prophets would have come into the room and heard what the Lord has said and preached it to the people. And the preaching of the word would have helped people so much. You know, the preaching and teaching of God's word does have power, and it still does. And I commend everybody who weekly comes and purposely places themselves under the sound of preaching. You are doing the right thing. Some people say, well, I can just stay home from church and be fine. I just listen to my preacher online. Well, there's a lot of problems with that. It's fine to listen to some of those good guys, but I will tell you, uh, at least for me, I pick and choose what sermons I want to hear. Oh, this is a good topic. I'll pick that one. And you never hear maybe what you need to hear, but more what you want to hear. You need to come to a place where somebody else chose the sermon, and you have to sit there and listen. I, we all need that. But also, you need that close connection. There's so many other, there's so many reasons why we need to be in a place like this. But they wouldn't do it. Verse 23, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God afar off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? I have heard what the prophets said, that they prophesied lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. God heard every lie. And they would start their messages with something like, I have dreamed, I had a dream, everybody. And I felt the Lord was telling me in this dream to do this. And, to, and people love that. Oh, what, what's, oh, what's, what's the new dream that the, the prophet got? Yeah. Verse 26, how long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. The prophet that hath a dream, let him tell a dream. And he that hath my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is the chaff to the wheat, saith the Lord? In other words, if it's really a dream, Tell people it's a dream and don't say it's God gave you that dream. Just say, I dreamed this and I probably had too much pizza last night. But here's what it is. Speak it and say it what it is. Don't say it's God's word if it's not. Man's, and he, then he says, what's the chaff to the wheat? Meaning, man's words are the chaff, God's word is the wheat. Make sure you make a distinction. As I stand up here and talk, God's words are what matter, not mine. My words are gluten-free. But his words are real wheat, okay? My words are chaff, his words are wheat. Reminder, this is a good practice in all of our lives. Don't say it's from the Lord if it's not. Be careful about saying, God told me this, God told me this, God told me this. Or just somebody the other day say, well, God told me to do this, God said this and this, God told me not to do, go to the Wednesday night class, literally, whatever. Okay, whatever. There's a big difference between God's words and man's. Verse 29, I wanted to get to this first before we're done. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Is not my word like a f- as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? God's saying there is extraordinary power in God's words that man's words will never have. His word is like a fire that touches and everything it touches, it makes like unto it. A fire, when it touches something, it makes it like unto itself. It burns it up. And that's what the fire does. That's what the word of God does when somebody gets a hold of it. It it conforms us. And his word is like a hammer that takes a hard, dead heart and breaks it up. The word of God. 
I watched this week as I was, there was a, there was a young father who was just dealing with some things in his own life. We made an appointment. He came in and we sat and chatted for a little while. He was just sharing th- some things and I began to talk to him about the Lord. I said, let's get to the core of the issue. And so I began to share with him about sin and started opening up the word of God and sharing what, the, what God says about where we all are and how we all owe a, owe a price to God for our sin. But then Jesus came and died on the cross to cover our sins and to take all of this away so that now we can live in a whole new different way and live with a whole new different uh, mind. And as I begin to actually speak the word of God, you could see a ch- complete change in his face. It was, no, nobody ever talked to him like that. Nobody at work spoke the words of God to him. Nobody in his home was speaking the words of God to him. Nobody on TV was speaking the words of God to him. But f- somebody actually now has, been, has spoken the words of God to somebody. And it was like, it was like a fire that just started burning and like a, like a hammer that just did a, did a job. Like a hammer that hits the nail on the head. That's what's almost like the light comes on here. It's the word of God. It's different from any other words you'll hear. Amen. It strikes to the heart. And that man prayed and asked Jesus in his heart, by the way, this week. The, the, this, the word of God is like wheat. It's like the fire. It's like hammer. And I'm going to give you the last prophecy, and we're going to end with this. I can't give you the whole, all the scriptures, but this ne- the last prophecy here is a prophecy about insincere prophets who make a mockery of God's word. God says these prophets had become prophetless. In uh, verse 32, he said, these, they, sh- they shall not profit this people at all. And I, I was just thinking, that is the end result of a prophet or a preacher, or a leader who will not stand for the word of God. It profits nobody. It helps no one. At the end of the day, there's just really nothing it's helping. We all need a, be, need a reminder that if we bend to culture, we'll be helping nobody. We'll be just like them. Churches are meant to be different from the world. That's the whole point. The world needs a place to go that's different and unique and has power. And the result of a pastor, a parent, a leader who will not speak God's word is no prophet at all. Will be a profitless prophet. Will be a non-profit prophet. <laughs> and in the end, no one is helped by a spiritually weak leader. Nobody. Nobody. Lord, help us. Oh God, each of us that has... We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.